1: That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.
2: From the Apostrophe Podcast Network. One, two,
0: they all come from the unknown north. Talent to drive and a pride worth paying for. But just because they're above the 49th parallel, doesn't mean we shouldn't celebrate them just as well. So give it up to these Canucks, because our self-promotion sucks. And if they went away, we sure wouldn't miss them. Please do not go the Canadian Star System. Hello and welcome back to the Canadian Star System, a podcast where we shine the spotlight on Canadian talent and they shine their spotlight on other Canadian talent and we find out what makes them so good and what makes Canada so bad about celebrating our own. I'm your host, Steve Patterson, and while I may not have the voice of an angel, I did once do a commercial for Philadelphia Cream Cheese. So there's that. This is our 20th episode and final installment of season one. And while it would be disrespectful to all our other guests to say we've saved the best till last, we quite possibly have done just that with this episode. So sorry, previous guests. Speaking of the best, with me again is my producer and co-host and the best co-host I've ever had on this show. And I mean that, Diana Francis. Hi, Diana. That
2: is so sweet and so disrespectful to all the other co-hosts you did not have.
0: Yeah, well, I'm willing to. You're here now, so I'm willing to be nice to you. How's it going? Are you are you happy or sad that this is our last last talk for a little a little bit?
2: Well, you know, I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited for what season two is going to bring, and I'm excited for a bit of a break, and I'm excited for the extra little treats that we're going to roll out in between season one and season two. So stay tuned for those, everybody. There will be extra little bonus bits.
0: Oh, you see, and I didn't even know that. That way, that's what makes you the great producer, (laughs) and me the clueless host. Let me just ask you this: Let's aim. We like to aim for the stars on this show, right? Or the Canadian stars, at least. Diana, I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but and I don't know that it that it will happen, but I, it might. Say you were inducted into Canada's Walk of Fame. Say that happened. Do you know what what your speech might be? A condensed oh. version, please.
2: Yeah, I think if I, Diana Francis, ever got inducted into Canada's Walk of Fame, my acceptance speech would be. Thank you for this brilliant honor. I'm pretty sure you meant Diane Francis, writer of the Financial (laughs) Post. Right. I'm pretty sure you've made a horrible mistake with this honor, but thank you regardless. Yeah,
0: and you would take it, right? And then you would just push Diane Francis off the stage and run away with your little star.
2: In fact, if she ever gets one before me, I just will go to the ceremony, and as soon as everybody leaves while the cement is still drying on the pavement, I'll just- change a couple of vowels around yeah and put, and your, and put your
0: hand in it yeah all right exactly
2: what about you what would that. your acceptance speech be
0: i mean i've i've only been thinking about it as in as long as i asked this question but i think it would be something <laughs> along the lines of a of you know after over 20 years of stand-up and over 15 years hosting a comedy show on national radio the only comedy show on national radio that's gone on that long it's nice to be inducted For the the Canadian Star System podcast. Thank you very much. Because that's, (laughs) I think that's what'll be the chance to get in. You know what? That was a a fun little exercise, but guess what?
2: Do we have a guest today that has been inducted into the
0: Canadian Walk of Fame recently, maybe? Don't ruin it. God, you know damn well our first guest today is going into Canada's Walk of Fame. Very soon, for real. She will be inducted this December and will have her name immortalized among the Canadian greats and... She deserves it. A fearless singer and performer who instills her inspirational messages in her music, she has been named one of the top 25 Canadian singers ever and is known, is known and dubbed as Canada's queen of R&B soul. She's written for and performed alongside some of the biggest musical acts in the world, but it's when her own voice comes out that people take notice Including when she championed a book on Canada Reads and became an important, outspoken ally for Indigenous rights. In addition to being a singer and songwriter, she's also a producer, entrepreneur, and tireless ambassador and activist. She will be forever part of Canada's Walk of Fame. And despite what you may have heard, she will not be your seven day fool. (laughs) She's Julie Black! Yay! I will be your eight day fool, (laughs) baby. Thank you. I'll take it. I one date up, everybody. (laughs) Julie, thank you so much for being here. It's such an honor to have you to close out our first season of Canadian Stars and getting to know more about people. Let me start at the most recent thing here. What is it like to be on the verge of going into Canada's Walk of Fame?
3: It still hasn't really sunk in. I'm like, okay, so am I going to go and maybe uh, go get a Starbucks latte every so often and sit on the star and just, you know, (laughs) give me some tea? It feels good, of course. I really, I give up my parents. It's, It's really about their sacrifice. I think about them coming to Canada in 1968. I wasn't even born yet. And now their legacy and their, you know, all of their lineage. It'll be forever in uh, cemented and in, pun intended. Yeah, literally, <laughs> it's yeah. a nice feeling. I'm still extremely young, so it's nice to be doing this. You know, in my forties, I'm like, okay, cool, let's go. What else is there?
0: Sometimes people think of it as, uh, oh, this person has achieved so much, and you have, but you're very much you're you're still very much in the thick of things. You're still making music. You're still acting. You're still doing uh, so much philanthropy and activism. So it must be a bit of a weird feeling to be like, well, I still have lots more to go. Maybe you could be the first double inductee. Maybe you'll be inducted again. Maybe when I
3: get married, I'll be inducted (laughs) in my married name or something. We could figure out
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe I'm speaking with someone that has been named one of the top 25 Canadian singers ever and dubbed Canada's queen of R&B soul. You are officially Canadian music royalty. Does that get to your head? Because if any one person called me the king of anything, even yeah. if it was uh, donairs or, you know, I would be, I would, I would have a badge. I would wear that all the time. <laughs> what, what is it like to be the queen of R and B? For soul? the
3: longest, I, I suffered from imposter syndrome. I didn't believe it. I didn't know. I don't know who dubbed me that. You gave me that name for the lot It would be very uncomfortable when people say it. It's still interesting to hear it. But I was like, you know what if someone if they feel that way about me then I'll own it I'll stand in that power and I continue to groom my craft I work on I work on my craft every day I sing every single day and so it's something whether it's Arisa or Mary J. Blige. I'm like, I don't know who the UK queen of r is or the Japanese queen of r is. So let's find <laughs> us all.
2: I want to see that convention. Oh, no That sounds fun.
0: The queen convention. I would love to see that. And it segues well into the fact that you've actually performed for the oh queen.
3: My, yes. I could tell you a funny story on that because we were supposed you had to learn how to curtsy. Right. Don't look her in the eye. Don't uh, extend your hand first. All that stuff, but I was still a little wet behind the ears, you know, it wasn't that long ago, but still, it was like you know, the early 2000s. And I was like, I think she sits down to poop, <laughs> as far as I know. So she's there, and I sang my song, and she, and I'm looking at her, I didn't do the curtsy thing, it was strange. And she came right up to me and she extended her hand and she said, good job and all that. And we're having a nice little talk. There's a picture they caught of us was like, like really eye to eye. Oh, that's amazing. I was like, come on, she's a person. She probably wants to wipe her own ass. Like, let's go. Let her be
1: human, everybody. Those
0: protocols seem like they're for people that have never been dubbed queen. This was queen to queen. I mean, (laughs) she's been dubbed the queen by somebody. You've been dubbed the queen. If anything, she should be curtsying to meet you. You I would. what? I would think. Maybe
3: inappropriate. Forgive me, you know, for those listening if you think this is inappropriate, I apologize. I think her protocol should be she has to twerk.
0: <laughs> I don't know if I can get past that visual for the rest of this interview. I hope some fans out there can draw something up for us because I would love to see that that video. Uh, how did that come about, Julie, performing for the Queen?
3: I really don't know. I was literally, there's some things that, you know, my mom used to say, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. And she's like, what's for you won't miss you. Like all these kind of parables. And I was asked, I was in, you know, it's often to, on a serious note, I, I tend to, I say to my mentees, I mentor a lot of different people. And I was like, what are they saying about you when you're not in the room? You could be in a room and they'll say you're the mm-hmm. queen and loved your show and this, but when you're not in the room, that's what matters most. And whatever happened, I wasn't in that room when they made that decision, but I made an impression on somebody who made that decision. So I,
0: I would say that's what it was. It's great advice actually. Where was the performance? Was it in Canada? Was it in England? It was it's in Canada, like
3: some strange, nondescript tent down by Lake like, Shore. <laughs> you <just laughs> walked into this thing and it was like, oh, like Cirque du Soleil. It's like, you would not think, you would think that they were like slaughtering pig. Like, and then you walk in, it's a whole <laughs> royal thing. It was like, you would, it was unbelievable how they, how they converted this space. I was like, wow.
0: Were you suspicious at first? Were you like, oh man, this isn't the real queen. Now the, I, the queen's not in a tent <laughs> down by the water. <laughs> like, this, is, this is not This true. is a
3: bootleg.
2: This is like the wax figure queen. This is going to be Scott Thompson from Kids in the Hall playing the queen. <laughs> It'll be delightful. <laughs> <You're> right.
0: <laughs> Listen, I've got to talk. We talked very briefly about this, but we know that you performed with a number of incredible artists, Black Eyed Peas you toured with for quite some time. And you've got Lots of different performers listed that you performed with and or written for, such as Destiny's Child. But I want to talk very quickly, the personal connection we have, which I had to remind you of. We performed together but separate for the Giller Prize Awards in Canada. And you came on and blew the doors off a room which I thought was asleep. And I'd been entertaining them all night. And you came <laughs> up and in four minutes, had those who could uh, dance, dance, <laughs> dancing. How important is it as a performer to... Come in. I mean, I don't think everyone can do it, but you come in with an energy that immediately says you're either. It doesn't even give the option to be either with it or you're not. It's infectious, and I've seen in comedy sometimes people can come on too strong. It frightens the crowd. They don't know what's happening. The comedian is laughing, but no one else is. It's a terrible feeling. But you, you don't have that gear. I don't think in your performance, you hit the stage from the first note. It's on until the last note it's infectious how important is that and and how can performers maybe develop it mm. uh it's extremely important for me i started singing in church
4: mm-hmm.
3: for those performers who have had some sort of experience singing with a choir or some sort of ensemble you realize that it's kind of like it's kind of your playground it's like the audience the audience is there yes but if i if i have fun then they're going to have fun and that's just hands down it's 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 a transfer of energy uh i don't care if it's the bar staff i'm giving all of my energy (laughs) every time and so but realizing that i'm there to serve and so if you go to a restaurant and your waiter your server is awesome you're gonna give a nice tip you're gonna give good energy Mm -hmm. so that's the same thing with my talent with singing i'm gonna go and i'm gonna serve i'm gonna look around make some eye contact and don't be the one caught yawning though because i will call you out but say, it feels so good to know that I'd say I, I compare it to my guitar player. My guitar player picks up his guitar and he tunes it. And I think everybody as human beings. You don't have to be a musician. You can go into a room and based on your energy, you could tune the room. So what was that? Don't, you don't bring the, whatever your last conversation was, your grocery list. Get, no, it's, it's a reset. You step over, you step into that room. You have an opportunity to tune the room. My mom used to say The same electricity you could use to boil an egg is the same electricity they use to kill a man. It's the same
0: thing. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I'm sorry, that took a real turn from tune the room and I was writing it down. And now I think my wife's gonna try to kill me with an egg. That's what I'm left to come away from this. It's energy. (laughs) That is intense, and it feels like it was it was instilled. We're talking about you know you're the I read in my research. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're the youngest of nine. Yep. Children, youngest of nine. Youngest my five. goodness. Mm-hmm. And you are the only one of your siblings born in Canada. Is that true? Your your they mom called me the up foreign first. baby. Foreign baby was. The <laughs> yeah. So what was it like? This is the experience that I have. I was born in Ontario. My other four brothers were born in Quebec. I don't think it compares to being the youngest (laughs) of nine and having a mom bring the family over from Jamaica, and you are the one that's born in Canada. Did you feel like a bit of an outsider in your own family?
3: I think they felt like the outsider.
0: (laughs) I think the seven
3: others, because my parents now, they're in this country with the land of opportunity. You know, there's like, I hadn't, it's gonna sound very spoiled, but like I had ice cream with my name on it. Like don't touch Julie's ice mm-hmm. cream. Like a little bit. Like my <laughs> parents got to kind of do things that they couldn't afford to do in Jamaica. You know, so I think they kind of felt like the outsider. But on the flip side, I think this is what actually trained me unknowingly to get into journalism and stuff. Is I interviewed my siblings. I wanted to know what it was like to like farm and to you know what the school system was like and being being the majority. So being in Jamaica, there's, they didn't know about racism. There's no racism, everybody looks the same, pretty much. There's a white Jamaicans, Asian Jamaicans, you know what I mean? So I learned about my history, my culture through my siblings, you know, the maroon, slavery, all that I learned from the Jamaican perspective. And then now, you know, they got a chance to actually dream a little more because I was that kid, everything that was available, I wanted to do. And my parents made sure that I could from sports to to drama and all the things, right? So it was an each one teach one, um, but, you know, my parents parented the other siblings still very traditional. So there's questions that I was later, I later on could ask my mom and dad that they wouldn't answer the other kids. But <laughs> I came out, I'm kind of this green Canadian kid that's like, why, what do you mean? I wanted the answers. And so I got the answers from my siblings that they weren't able to get because culturally it was like, that's disrespectful. Don't ask me my age. But my siblings didn't know how old my parents were until I found out, like i <laughs>
0: you you not the resident journalist yeah, in your family, you. I love it. and let me ask you this: being the youngest, I do find a lot of the performers that I talk to in life are the youngest Ooh. for some reason. I don't know if it's because they had to survive their siblings or and that's what it was in my case, but being the youngest, do you find that you got away with more things than your siblings did It sounds like it may be that Julie had these special things set aside only because your older siblings went through it. They got in trouble for it, but your your parents had seen. Yeah. What was going to happen by the time you were there? Did you get away with a little bit more? Do I you think, think my or parents were just tired. By the time they we, <laughs> they were just tired, <laughs> tired of the
3: same disciplinary things. It's like, you know, but there was the other side of it that they, they, they raised me as far as like, for example, like we weren't allowed to sit in adult conversations. If two adults were having a conversation. Then no children are to be in that conversation. You are to be invited into that conversation. Like there's certain things that. They kept up for me. Even my nieces and nephews is kind of a thing. Like, you know what? That's the grown-up table. That's the kid table. I think this day and age, we needed to loosen that up. Some we need to communicate with our kids. Mental health is real. Depression, anxiety, all that stuff, right? So, um, but there were some things that I got away with. But I also I excelled a lot. I excelled in school. I excelled in athletics. I excelled like my academics was like through the roof because it was cool for me to get nineties. Like my siblings did too, but they didn't be like, look at my report card. Cause they're probably afraid actually. So there was a different system in how they raised me versus like how they raised my, my, my siblings, but everybody to your point about being the youngest and like the one that's, you know, coming into talent or whatever, everybody poured into Julie. My siblings are 20 years older than me. We're not like close. Anymore. Oh, wow. Yeah. So yeah. So my oldest sister's 21 years older than me. So it's like, I had many parents. Wow. So it's was like, you know, yeah. so there was like, okay, I kind of became that project of the family. They're so Like, okay, <laughs> let's make sure Julie's in extracurricular activities. I have friends that have that, you know, got into trouble, got went to jail, got stabbed, shot, killed, like all the things, like true story. Wow. Got pregnant young, grade eight, grade nine. So they were like, oh hell no, they put this like a hedge of protection around Julie, hmm. so that I wouldn't be defined by
0: you know my my environment outside the house. Now here's something that I did not know and it came across in my research that you have a degree in law enforcement from Seneca College I do Julie where's that coming from and why this isn't something that I know you could be you could be doing a concert and arresting anyone that doesn't have a good time Do you realize the cross <laughs> promo that you could have going here? what do you feel like how does that piece fit in to the Julie Black puzzle a law enforcement? Me degree. It, it fits in quite a bit,
3: actually, because law is law. So When I get my <laughs> you know, like contracts, for example, I understand the language, like out the gate. But oh, right, I got into right. law enforcement. I was interested because a lot of my friends were getting racially profiled and um, not knowing their rights and responsibilities. And so that's why I was like, you know what, I'm going to take law enforcement. I love the criminal code. I just It was just really interesting. And I find it, I, again, when I mentor people, say, you know, what's that thing that's going to interest you that you will do for no money or that you will you'll it keeps you up at night it wakes you up in the morning and keeps you up at night and it was it was law like i really enjoyed law a lot and so i did really really well and you know that, that kind of became a little bit of a shit disturber because they had some old curriculum they had this videotape like uh talking about the jane finch community and people were bricklayers and things i was like okay i get it it's okay to be a bricklayer, but that's not everybody that was such a general piece so i went to my dean i was like they need to get this out of the curriculum like what do i what could i do so I started a petition and had everybody sign it. Thousands of signatures, and they did remove it. But I lost valedictorian, and he said, "You know, you won't be the valedictorian." But I said, "Okay, whatever. I don't care." So that was the thing. That was 1998. So it wasn't like Black Lives Matter time where I had the support. I had my one dean that supported me, but he knew that wow. the rest of the faculty wasn't. They weren't about it. They weren't woke, and they wanted. They took that award for me. But that's okay. I'm Julie Black. Hey!
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's such an important thing, too, especially as an entertainer, how often we sign documents and trust that the people that we've aligned ourselves with, whether they are our agents or managers, that we, we trust. And it's such an important thing in entertainment to be able to understand yourself, what
3: it is that Absolutely. you're reading. When all my masters, when I signed to Universal back in 2003, they offered me like a big advance or ownership. And I took ownership. I took ownership and I own my master's. And every time I license my music, it comes to me. And it's been that way since 2002.
2: That's amazing. Because so few, I mean, there was that whole thing just recently with Taylor Swift, right? Where she re-recorded all of her master's so that she could Mm -hmm. get ownership of the contents for for licensing purposes. Right.
0: Let's talk about that a bit, because again, going back, there was some controversy over your debut album and this is right up the line of what we talk about on this on this podcast is Canadian entertainment and the different challenges mm-hmm. of it. Uh you're obviously more well equipped than many because you have a law background as as what we're talking about here. But was there a, an issue with your debut album being released that the that the actual record label was sold to another record label and it delayed the release of your actually canceled the release of your first album and and that's when you sp- became this <laughs> entrepreneur that we're talking about. And you became your own label. Could you just yep. talk about that 100%. a little bit? 100%. So I signed to my
3: dream label, MCA Records. That's Patti LaBelle, Gladys Knight, Mary J. Blige, The Roots. Like all these artists that I totally love and adore. And you know. And so I got signed in LA. And Geffen, Geffen Records, David Geffen acquired MCA Records. And that debut album basically got put on the shelf. The cool thing is my A&R at the time, artist and Repertoire, that's what that stands for, Clyde Lieberman, when I did my deal, he said, "Do you want a recording fund or do you want a recording budget?" He said, "If you get a recording fund, then whatever you don't use goes back to you." I said, "Ah, oh, okay." So then he's like, "Do you want a car service or do you want a rental car with, you know, Google Maps?" Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to stay at the Rosson <laughs> or do you want to stay at the DoubleTree? And I, my Jewish <laughs> dad, no, he was my Jewish dad. Like he really taught me. About all this about my choices, and that this is this money being spent, it's your money. Like do you want to be tapped out, right? right. And so so when they when they sold um, they acquired the, the the record label and my album with it, there was a stipulation in my contract that said, if I could get every producer to waive their back end, so you pay the producer half up front, like say it's ten thousand, you give them five thousand, then they're supposed to get five thousand upon release, well this album wasn't going to come out anymore. So, if I could get them to wave the back end by a certain time, literally on the clock, it was like nine p m or whatever, it was sorry six p m eastern, then all that money goes back to you. I said, "Oh, snap, I went on a mission. I called every producer, every studio, email, <laughs> like by myself, like by myself. I had just fired my manager at the time, so literally I'm doing this with like my cousin and they all said yes, but what I promised them is when I get another deal, because I will, you're the first producers that I'll come back to. And it was a group called The Soul Diggers. They're the ones that I wrote Destiny's Child with. Um, I know. Right, And right. they were the first group to say, you know what? Yup, you got, you got our commitment. Fast forward to This Is Me. I was able to have these songs and own the masters. And so we were able to kind of expedite recording that debut album. So that's the
0: story. Wow. That's fascinating and incredible. It sounds simple with the way you say it to stick up for yourself, but it's not easy in the moment, is it? Because you just want, there's so many artists that just want representation. They just want distribution and they will sign anything. And this is at the outset of your career. So for you to have the foresight to do that, I think is uh, this is one of the reasons that we're talking about you going into Canada's walk of fame. It's the whole picture of show business. It's not just the show. I just, I do want to follow up at any point. In the dealings with these producers, did you get your mom to call and go, uh, you know, I can kill you with an egg or whatever that, uh, that first thing was? Well, she didn't do that, but I will say
3: my first deal, with people don't know this, I'm writing a book, so it'll be in that. But I got signed to Sony when I was 14 years old out of New York, Epic, and we had no money for a lawyer or anything. Signed to a management deal. My mom called them and she said, I have a cutlass in, which is a machete, a cutlass <laughs> in my backyard. And if you do anything to my daughter, I'll chop you up. And that's
0: how she negotiated my first deal. <laughs> uh, you know, we've talked to so many artists and it's it, their moms are so such an important driving force of their career and not being taken advantage of or or just calling people. You know, we, we think that there's these levels to go through to, to talk to a person and moms are like, well, he's right there. Let's just go talk to him or her yeah. now. I moms, moms Mom know what's knows. going on. Let's jump ahead to activism a little bit. We've got a few minutes left, and then we're going to bring on your, your uh, guest that you kindly brought with you today. Your I wouldn't say your life course took a turn. I think it was already on the way, but it took a public turn a little bit when you appeared on Canada Reads. You were a champion for the book, The Marrow Thieves by Sherry Demelin. You had an exchange with Jeannie Becker that went viral, and you- became a very active ally and champion for indigenous rights. And when Jeannie said something, and I won't do the whole exchange, you you just you shot back, take it to the altar. That became a hashtag (laughs) and a movement that people rallied behind. And you know, I know in speaking with you and talking to you that you've always had these causes, but was that moment for you a seminal moment where where you said, I'm going to help take this cause on because I know it's just as important as the other causes that I'm currently working working for Yeah. Him. That was
3: um 4 months to the day my mom passed away. March 29th. Oh okay. So there was some, there was a lot of significance in the journey to that day on television even saying yes to Canada Reads in the in, as a part of my the the journey to healing, my grief. Right? So I knew I was like okay, I'm going to take this on The wool is fresh, but I I need to be learning about, I just went into education mode. So what people don't know is that book was handed to me and not, I wasn't given the opportunity to choose the book. And I'm very, very, I'm a woman of faith. I believe in God. I follow the principles of Jesus. And so at the time I didn't get angry. I'm like, okay, the other contestants or whatever, they were able to read two or three chapters and say, these books resonate, good to go. This is where some people don't realize there's like where there's like sprinkles of like unconscious bias and you know racial stuff. So the black girl got the indigenous book. Let's just flat out put it out there. Okay. But I didn't look at it like that. I was like, okay, cool. This is this, I let's rep. I'm I'm asking for allies as a black woman. This is my opportunity to be an ally. And so when that moment happened, and Jeannie Becker, I've known for years, you know, especially in the industry, respect what she's done for the industry. But that morning, I remember feeling the ground under my feet, literally saying, Julie, be where your feet are. In other words, be present. And I said that out loud to myself, walking in, the whole thing with the Pope not not, um, issuing an apology to Indigenous Canadians. Like that was on CBC News. I'm walking in. So all of these, I'm giving you this visual to let you know how I journeyed what I saw. And then that moment happened on live, te- on live television where I was present enough to respond. I didn't react, I heard it, it landed. If you watch the clip, I look back at my best friend, the only other black woman in the whole studio. She was behind the camera, the people don't realize that body turn was actually me looking at my friend. And then I turned, did anybody hear me say Jeannie Becker? So I posed the question. Still like taking the steps to be like, this doesn't have to be drama. And then I turn back around. But why are you attacking me? So, you know, and the rest is history. So I'm so happy that I allowed myself to be present out the gate. And that's a lesson I've taken for the rest of my life. You can respond. When you can respond, you're going to have the the education, the wisdom, the poise. Take it to the altar was just my church background, because that's what we say. <laughs> Take it to Jesus. <laughs> that part was just, it's like my it's like what we were talking about earlier about my being in a certain family setting. I was that was a natural response to like that's what we would say at home. So it's actually like it was like a homely, a homey type of thing. It just happened to be live on TV. You know what I mean? So fast forward, that was 2018.
0: Fast forward to 2020. It's relevant. Rihanna Taylor, George Floyd, yeah, incredible. Those two movements, and this is—it's—I don't think we can tackle this all in the time that we have there. But you've always been about empowering women, empowering Black women, and these movements that we're talking about—Black Lives Matter and Indigenous Lives Matter—especially in Canada with everything that's gone on this year. As you say, these things have always been important, but now, now it seems like the public maybe, hopefully, is. Finally catching on, what encouraging signs do you see right now in Canada in terms of the causes that you've been championing this, this for so long? Or do you do, do you see enough positives? I don't know. I don't I don't I, don't, I, don't, I didn't mean to load that question. Are there glimmers, there positives? There's
3: glimmers like, you know, I could appreciate how, yeah.
0: you know, CBC,
3: for example, on Canada Day, I hosted that event and we were they were they were very gracious to have me basically consult, even consult in the script writing. Like, you know what, that's inappropriate. Oh, that's that, no, da, da, da. You know, what I will say, and I'm going to say this in love, is, you know, the term BIPOC, for example, you know, Black Indigenous people of color, we have moved from the B to the I without completely serving and rectifying the B. B. So Canada jumps, we've jumped from B to the I. B isn't really isn't a conversation anymore. We're on the I. And then the POC, some of the POC don't really consider themselves a part of the BIPOC because the opportunities are there for South Asian, Asian, et cetera. Right? So that's that's where I sit. So there's glimmers, but in a way, it's been a it's been a band-aid effect because the next news item came on board. And now it's like, okay, well, let's deal with indigenous rights as black people sit and ally, yeah but we're still sitting with our own trauma and things that need to be rectified.
0: I do think it's a, it's a time of reckoning for, for Canada that more people are aware of now that Canadians aren't as proud of their heritage. Well, yeah, they're definitely not perfect and they're not as proud of their heritage because they're finally acknowledging. And I say they're, I'm, I'm part of it. I haven't done enough, but I, uh, Find that interesting that you that you say that they've moved and I think you're right you know we've we've latched on to this indigenous lives matter which is an important cause but we've got a we've got a lot of things going on that you are addressing simultaneously and you've got a great chance now to bring so many others on board with everything that you're doing so thank you you're for welcome. all of that you're doing Julie and congratulations again on the Canada's walk of Fame it's got to be an incredible mm-hmm. honor and I I do always wonder when they put the, they put it on the sidewalk there, you know, I wish they would put the stars high so you can look at them. I think it's weird when you, when you walk over a walk of I think it should be a wall, a wall of fame. It's almost like a grave of fame, eh? It's like a grave. <laughs> <laughs> it should be like, yeah. And you should get to decorate it however you want it, right? It shouldn't be them designing the stars. I think should I should
3: pick my own little site, wherever, wherever, wherever I want yeah, it's wherever you want it. Let me That's take right. It's
0: a slab. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should get more than one location. It's wherever you want. Just, it's ten places. And you should get a bunch to carry around That's with perfect. you and just throw it's around. A mail. I will talk to them.
2: We'll be right back after the break.
0: Hey listeners, you've heard a lot today about Canada's Walk of Fame, an honour bestowed upon some of this country's best and brightest talents. But what about Canada's least and lamest public personalities? Don't they deserve a little recognition too?
2: They sure do, Steve, which is why we've created
0: Canada's Run of Shame, celebrating the very worst of Canada's talents. That's right. On Canada's Walk of Fame, you'll walk across the names of stars we're all proud of, like Julie Black or Keanu Reeves, but on the Canadian run of shame, you'll jog as fast as you can over the names of those Canadians who barely deserve the bottom of your boots. Our first round of
2: inductees into Canada's run of shame spans from powerful men that have done something terrible at least once in
0: public to fide terrible people who also happen to be men. Names like... Jordan Peterson, Maxime Bernier, Conrad Black, John A. MacDonald, Gian whose name we shall not mention Rob Ford Doug Ford Associates of Rob and Doug Ford That guy who cut me off once driving a Ford
2: Plus some lesser known celebrity embarrassments like The Alexander Keith spokesman Recent Canadian import Randy Quaid Half Canadian Elon Musk Steve Patterson Hey! Return a goddamn email Steve if you want to get off the list The Canadian Ah, run of shame You'll pull a hamstring trying to get past it
5: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And now, back to the Canadian Star
2: System.
0: All right, we're going to do a little thing before we bring on the guest that you brought with us now called Quick Questions. Quick Questions! Ooh. And these are just real quick off the top of your head, if you can. And then we will get on to the guests that you've kindly brought with you today. So of all your fellow inductees to the Walk of Fame this year, which includes Keanu Reeves, Damian Warner, the decathlete, the late Salome Bay is going in, Romeo Dallaire, the senator. Which would you most like to sit down and have dinner with and talk Salome to? Salome Bay. Hands down. Hands down. I, thought, I sort of thought so. That is the correct answer. I watched Keanu's... Uh, a little video, and I, th- I think that's the right answer. <laughs> of all your roles that you that you play and continue to play, singer, actor, activist, host, which would you like to focus the most time on moving forward now? Actor. Actor. Okay. Interesting. So there's been a little shift. Yeah, there. even though I do have a brand new album coming oh. out,
3: shameless plug, called um, Three Rocks and a Slingshot. It's coming out next year. Um, <laughs> actually, I love that. Yeah, it's not a good title, Three Rocks and a Slingshot. Well, I love that title, but I mean, sometimes you
0: can you can combine the singing and acting, right? Oh, You've done that before, well, I've musical done that with theater. So.
3: Change, yeah, But acting, acting is just a thing. I don't like auditioning. I don't like self tapes. I don't. <laughs> I like get anxiety, major anxiety, and stressed out about it. But when you when you're in it yeah. and you're
0: telling those stories of somebody else, it's great. Well said, and I don't think you should have to. But you're Julie Black. Okay. <laughs> Uh, this is interesting because you've written for a lot of other artists, and I imagine that's a challenge when you can sing the songs yourself and sing that, the heck out of them to write music for other artists. It's got to be a bit of a challenge and a different muscle to use. What advice would you have out there for Canadians, uh, artists who are, are singers, songwriters, and who might want to venture into the business of writing for other artists?
3: Oh, my, well, my strategy has always been I write it for myself. So if it feels good to me, right. then no different than an outfit like this. I might wear a large shirt. It's the same outfit, but you just wear medium or wear small or extra large. Right. So it's got to be that. It's got to feel that good to you and it'll feel that great to somebody else.
0: That's a interesting way to put it. And thanks for giving all the size options to ah. me. I would, in <laughs> fact, be a large. Thanks, Julie. Last two questions are fill in the blank and then we'll bring in your other guests. The Canadian star system is... Shit. <laughs> right to the point. Right I to the point. It. I love it. Everyone else has just tried to explain it. And that's, there's we're no, no explanation of them. necessary. No of them. I know, but no. Julie, Julie, that's why we're doing this whole thing. We're, we're trying to do yeah. it ourselves. We're trying to be the spark. Yeah. Being next door to the United States is like. Being next door to the United States. I, I don't know how graphic we could go. You could go as graphic as you
3: like. It's like having a tampon stuck inside of you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't expecting
3: that graphic, but I like it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Too close. Too close. Yeah, and possibly toxic. (laughs) Well done, Julie Black. (laughs) Well done. You made Diana actually almost do a spit take without anything in her mouth. She never seen her laugh that hard and has been trying to do it for 20 episodes. Julie Black, you are a national treasure and international treasure. And thank you so much for doing this. Please, After I talk about a tampon being stuck, I'm a national treasure. <laughs> yeah. Well, you say it I like did. it <laughs> is, right? Could you please introduce us to who you brought with you today? Oh, my goodness. Woman, Shiro.
3: Mother, actress, storyteller, director, producer, go-getter, my sister, Vanessa Antoine, the star of uh, Digstown, number one on the call sheet. That's what I like to refer to her as. Yes, number one on the call sheet. She has embraced me and taught me so much Um, in so much in so little time. I love her so much. She's here today because she's the bomb. Hello.
0: Well done, Vanessa <laughs> Hello, Antoine. Vanessa. Hello, Vanessa. Hello. It's so nice to see you in person. Well, not in person, but on, on screen, but so relaxed because I've been down a Digstown wormhole. Pretty intense. Some pretty intense storylines, including the episode that our friend Julie Black, who we've just been speaking with, stars in. One of the most serious episodes. What is it like to work on a drama like that? Well, i will just ask that first. Oh, man.
4: It's like a light comedy. Um, no. <laughs> <it though>? I,
0: <laughs> I'm worried about your definition
2: of
4: comedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's dark. It, it is, dark. is a challenge. It is intense. It is all of the things that you would expect to be when you're dealing with, you know, social injustice and all of the real issues that are happening right in front of us. But, you know, it's at an, a level that is... That feels more intense because, of course, in television and film, you are repeating and doing everything over and over yes. and over and over. And so, it layers in your body in a different way. You know, trauma sort of, your body doesn't really know the difference between trauma that you are experiencing on a camera for a role right. versus real trauma. real trauma. Your body still deals with it as trauma. so you know for many months um i tend to spend a lot of my time exercising that that out of me you know but it is an intense set
0: <laughs> it's an intense role it takes on important issues do you want to talk about the julie black episode a little bit did you guys meet on the set of digstown or did you know each other before that
4: no we didn't know each other before that but i i let me just tell you a, a quick story please So season one of Digstown back in 2018, I was like, you know, sort of fresh to the, you know, being on a show like this and wanting to promote it. And I think that I sort of, I sent out a whole bunch of, you know, messages and DMs and things on social media to Black Canadian prominent women. Like I wanted to sort of have that support of like, hey, have you seen this show? You know, I'm starring in it. It stars a black woman. It's the first, you know, that Canada's ever seen. Would you like do a shout out or a tweet or something in support? And I, when I tell you, I sent to everyone that you can think of that would be a black Canadian female star. Julie Black is the only person that supported, retweeted. I think you put it on your stories, and you didn't even know me. And you put it out there and I was like, I was like already a fan before. And I was like, my mouth was dropped. I was like, Julie Black just (laughs) put this on her stories. What is going on? And so now fast forward to 2021 and she's now working with me on set in the first episode of season three. And I was just like, wow. So the first time we met was actually in a situation kind of like this. We did a Zoom, okay, and uh, we worked on we worked on a lot of things. <laughs> we we talked a lot about the role. And we talked a lot about this process.
0: She is a queen. She, she she laughs that you know she's like I don't describe myself as that, but she is. She has this energy. Oh, Julia, you're not supposed to be listening. Uh, she has this, she's this, this regality about her, this energy she's going to lead. You know, she's, you know, you're in good hands when you're following the example of Julie Black. I, I have to say something, please. Yes. I have to say something. Okay. Yes. So, oh, of course.
3: I was on another very popular CBC show, crime show. Okay. I had an opportunity to guest star, et cetera. And so that experience was okay. I kind of felt like I was on an island by myself. So here comes Dixxon. I'm like, okay, here's another big show. Nice role, da-da-da. So I'm thinking it's going to be a repeat. Maybe that's the industry standard. Mm. I'm kind of new to the acting thing. And here comes Vanessa. We do our read. And then here comes an email saying, do you want to get on Zoom? Mm. Do you want to run lines? This is number one on the call sheet. Okay. Do you want to run lines? I get emotional every time. Every time I tell the story, because she's like, "Then, then when, it, when we're on the, when, when it on the day, we'll just be playing. We'll just get to play." And then I was like, at one point, I was having a hard time with the. You probably don't know, like I was kind of struggling with certain parts of the the character. And then Vanessa just gave oh. me this tip that I kept with me for the rest of my life. She says, "You just need to know the gist of the story. Once you know the gist of the story, then you just kind of shade in the rest." And it, I'm so like visual. Like, it just, it just was like, "Ah!" girl! She didn't have to take the time. She didn't have
0: to take the time,
3: okay? And this is why it was important for me. I'm like, it was a no brainer. It's Vanessa needs to be on this thing with me today. I have to say that. yo. Everyone should
0: watch all of Digstown, uh, especially the, I believe it was the season three premiere that Julie Black was in. It deals directly head on with the pandemic. And I don't want to give away the storyline. I will say, Julie, if you'd, if you'd broken into song, it would have lightened it up a bit. I would have liked that. <laughs> but I respect, I respect that you didn't. Vanessa, I, in researching your background, I'm completely blown away by a few things. One is that you are the first Black person to play a lead on a Canadian drama series. The first Black person. And I don't want to put extra pressure on you because we talked about what a drama role is anyway, just within the role. But do you allow yourself to think about what a pioneer role you are taking on in this incredible show?
4: When I first got the role, I didn't know that that was even a fact. I didn't know that there had never been a black person being sort of leading a show in a dramatic role. We've seen it in comedy. We've seen it. I'm never going to take away from actors who have already done this. We've already seen Dick Hink in My Hair, and we've seen other roles in a comedy. But in, in terms of drama, I just hadn't thought about it until after I booked the role. And to be honest, like I went into an, in, an intense amount of panic and mm. sort of anxiety because I put on the pressure right in the beginning where I was like, I've got to now represent for all Black Canadian women And I have to be excellent and I have to make sure that I don't mess up and I have to be all of these things because we've never seen it before. And I definitely don't want to let my parents down. I definitely don't want to let my community down. And I definitely don't want to let down my people. And I like broke out in all kinds of (laughs) acne and hives. And I mean, it was, it was, it was that because I felt that kind of pressure. And then uh, I think after the second season or halfway through the second season, I took all that away. And I was like, I don't have to do any of those things. I actually just have to be the best that I can be. And I have to be as truthful as I can to this particular character. She's not all black women. She is this particular character. And I have to be as truthful as I possibly can for her, and for the beautiful writer uh, and creator, Floyd Kane, who created this book. I have to bring life to her, and that's it. And so that's what I've been doing.
0: It's an amazing show. And Julie's doing everything she can to not make sound, but make support for you. So for those who can't see, she just snapped silently, which I've never seen before. I've never seen Julie Black do anything silently. But she wanted wanted to hear you, but she was so supportive. So uh, thank you for that.
4: I felt the energy. I felt the energy.
0: Before this, for those who are maybe meeting you for the first time, hearing this and saying, now I have to see everything that Vanessa's done. You also starred in General Hospital, which I would never have known for four seasons. And I mean, a full disclosure, I'm more of a young and the restless guy. But
4: <laughs> Me too. <laughs>
0: that <laughs> now you can say it. that seems to be an incredible, an incredible grind as an actor. And maybe I'm reading it wrong, but because you're on every day, I don't know if you tape it, uh, you take just a whole bunch of it, then you have time off or is it a different grind as a soap oh. opera actor than as a as another as episodic actor? The thing
4: <laughs> it is it is a completely different medium from anything that I've ever done. Right. Not stage and film and television. What soap opera is is television on crack. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, <laughs> it is an it's an absolute beautiful, amazing gym to work out as an actor for sure. In terms of line learning and memorization, in terms of making quick choices, you know, I'll give you an example. In television, we shoot, we try to get you know maybe seven or eight pages, maybe ten pages for the day. Right. That's over twelve plus hours with different scenes. With soap opera, I was doing sixty pages by myself
0: per day. That's insane. That's that's insane to me. That doesn't seem like a possible It is
4: not normal. It is (laughs) not It is not natural. You have it is a muscle that you have to that will inevitably start to sharpen and get stronger. And they didn't start me off with sixty pages off the top, of course, when I first started going in. But by the end, like some of the women have been on there for you know, 20 years, 25 years. Right. So they're memorizing it on their way from their dressing room to the stage. They're just looking at it and memorizing it that quick right? because you've been doing it every day. And you're not getting cue
2: cards. You're not getting a teleprompter. It's like, you got to get those words in the brain real quick in one take.
4: In one take. And that's the other thing is because they've set up four cameras. So they've already got you in all your angles. You're not going for a second take. You're doing one take and they're moving on. And if you get it, Great. If you don't get it and it's good enough, they'll still move on without you.
0: (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I mean, I mean, that does come across a little bit on some, not always. There's some great stuff, but on on some soap operas, you're like, did he just look right at the camera? I guess so. I was like, he was eating a sandwich in that scene. They must've been taping it over. Yeah. It is. It is what it is. But it's a coveted, it's a coveted role, right? It's, it's steady work and lots and lots of actors want to go for it. How did you, how did you Land the role auditioned and got it right away or
4: I auditioned. And honestly, you know, I, as Julie said, when she introduced me, you know, I'm, I'm a mother. I'm a single mother. At the time, my boys were quite young. I was living in LA by myself, you know, with not a large support system. And the role came up and I thought, this is kind of what I would want in terms of being able to work. Being able to pay my bills and being able to come home at a reasonable hour to Mm. at least get one meal with my children and maybe help them with their math homework. Or if I wasn't able to do that, maybe I would be able to drive them to school in the morning. You know, as an actor for the whole time of Dickstown, I think I talked to my children over the course of four months. I might have talked to them like once a week. If that you're just going, 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 going.
0: You are really living the Canadian dream right now and having found success in in LA and starring in a successful show that is not only uh, distributed in Canada now, it's just been picked up and is being distributed internationally as well. And the other two, can I just, yep, there's another silent snap from Julie Black. That's that's the next name of my next album. No one will understand. Silent snap from Julie Black. I'm just going to make it a cameo. (laughs) These are the three levels I find interesting about Digstown. First of all, you are the first Black lead of a Canadian drama ever, which is incredible. It's a very diverse cast. It's also filmed in Nova Scotia, which not everything is, and it doesn't pretend to be anywhere else. It's Nova Scotia. It has all the local references, including to North Preston, uh, the Black community in Nova Scotia. And it actually gives equal footing to Dartmouth and Halifax, which has never been done before. So you're, <laughs> you're really bringing a lot of different levels together on this show. And you play a very, very believable lawyer on it. And now in General Hospital, were you a doctor? Were you a doctor in General Hospital?
4: No, I was, I was the commissioner. I, actually, I Commission- started off as, as an undercover detective. And then, um, (laughs) and then that's, and then I was outed and then I became the commissioner, uh, the police commissioner. So I sort of ran the police, the police force. You were the police commissioner? I know. It was ridiculous. (laughs) I didn't believe it. Like, it was just like, I had pencil skirts and heels and hair and lashes and nails. And I was like, I'm the commissioner. And it was like, (laughs) it felt like there was times where I would like lean up against my desk and I'm like, this feels like it could be the beginning of like, a really bad porn because it's
1: like <laughs> you're so
4: you're so like sexy and beautiful and you're like come in i'm the commissioner and it's just like what's <laughs> happening right now
2: uh, what is you know, happening i would say that considering that uh, that julie's got the law enforcement law enforcement degree, degree i would like to see her <laughs> yeah. play a commissioner just I saying yes casting directors <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would watch
0: Julie Black Commissioner, but I would also I watch Vanessa too. Antoine Commissioner. <laughs> Listen, let's get Can we get back? I've, I've kind of jumped ahead to present stuff, but I'd like to go back a little bit and talk about where it all began for you. I read that you started mm. doing ballet when you were four. So you are officially the, the best balanced person I've ever spoken to because that seems <laughs> – like a very young ballerina at four, but was your family <laughs> always very supportive of you going into the arts? And and do you think that shaped you from a young age?
4: Absolutely. I mean, you know, here's the thing about my parents they they were just I think they just didn't have much of a choice <laughs>
2: <with Okay. me. laughs>
4: in that. I was that kid when your parents were having a party. And, you know, everybody is having a great time and it's mostly adults. But some of the parents, some of the adults bring their kids. And so I was that kid that would take all the other kids when we were supposed to be upstairs watching a movie or whatever, playing a game. I would take the TV off and I was like, "Okay, we're going to be doing a show. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I'm going to be doing the choreography. You're going to start. This is the thing. We are now rehearsing a full show. And I would be that child while everybody's having a great time downstairs at the party or the dinner party. I'm now stopping everything. I'm coming down. I'm clapping hands. I'm like, guys, the show's going to start. And everybody would be like, oh God, here she goes again. And thank God my parents were the kind of parents that were so supportive of that. You know, they just let me play. And they just they knew that I was I was that child that wanted to to dance and wanted to perform and they did everything in their power to get me to ballet class every 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 Saturday.
0: <laughs> Can I tell you why that personally means so much to me? My daughter when she was 4 did almost the exact same thing at the Halifax Discovery Center. There was a stage and there was a group of grade fours or fives on a tour. And she just walked up on the stage and she said, everyone, the show's about to start. And people (laughs) just they thought it was part of the the show. Like they sat down. There was a woman who's just a citizen. And my daughter said, you go turn on the light. Like she was directing the (laughs) grade five teacher and she was four. So it's, it's inherent. And to see how well you are doing gives me a lot of encouragement as, as a father, because. Well,
4: Yes. Please encourage. I mean, that's, it just takes, it's those specific moments, you know, it's those moments that it's the difference between a parent saying, oh, do we have to do this now? This is adult time and go back up to your room and do something else. That could completely shift her perception or my perception at that time of what was, you know, available and accessible to me. I had parents and maybe I think everybody was probably just drunk and high, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and they just were entertained. They were like, great, the entertainment's here. You know?
1: <laughs> I <don't> remember <laughs> booking <laughs>
4: these kids, but they're real good. That's
0: right. That's right. You guys got a children's theater group? No, no, we didn't.
4: <laughs> but I took it very seriously. I printed off, you know, tickets. We had intermission. It was a big thing. That's amazing.
0: <laughs> you, so you grew up in Toronto, right, Vanessa? You grew yes. up in yeah. Toronto. Scarborough. What was it like growing up? So your parents are there are your parents from Trinidad Tobago? Do I have that correct? Yes. Yes. And
4: specifically Tobago, because we get a lot they get a lot of black for not shouting out Tobago specifically. It's two islands, one country, and they're from the Tobago side.
0: My buddy John Paul, a comedian, is uh from that part of the way his parents are from that part of the world. And uh-huh. he loves he always is going down to the true carnival down there. I mean, he does caravana up here, but he's all it looks like Maybe the most fun group of people and the most fun time in the world. It, it, they seem like they're, they know how to party.
4: Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm hoping that's where I'm going in February right. after Ooh. the holidays, if, if things open up and things look good, COVID-wise. But that's the place to be, to go and let loose and dance and meet some amazing people and everybody is just ready for
0: fun. And I think we're ready for fun. I think we're ready for fun. And I, I, they look like they're covered in paint a lot. John Paul and his wife, they seem to be uh, just, there's vibrant colors of paint. I don't know. Anyway, I, he's, I've never gone. I would like to. That might have um, been Juve. That's Oh, Jouvet. is that a different thing? Now, and did I read this correctly, that your father actually helped work on costumes for Carabana as well? Did I? Oh,
4: yeah. Well, I mean, he definitely, my dad used to make costumes in, in and Tobago and help in that way. And oh, then, okay. When I was young, I played mass in, in in Toronto, you know, in Kitty's Carnival from the time I was able to probably walk or, you know, stand. So he's very, he's very creative in that way. I mean, he's, he's a photographer. He's, he's an artist. He's definitely the artistic side of the family.
0: And what's, what's your mom? What's your mom's My
4: name? mom is a full on accountant.
0: I love it. <laughs> I love that. That is the perfect, it's the perfect symmetry. Because honestly, if there's two super creative people, I mean, it's going to be fun, but you might not pay the bills. You know what I'm saying? It totally makes
2: sense when you're talking about producing the shows as a kid. When you said, I printed tickets, I clocked that and I went, that's very yes. fiscally responsible to charge the adults printed for the show that know they were going to watch.
4: A hundred percent. I made them pay. I think it was 25 cents and I taped the little, I matched the ticket to... Their seat, and I had ushers walk them to their seat. They had it was serious. It was serious business. That's amazing. <laughs> I wanted to
2: ask you, Vanessa. It was sort of coincidence this morning. I opened up my Facebook feed, and a friend of mine had posted the article that you wrote for the actor Magazine mm, that came out yes. today. And mm-hmm. um, as somebody who's you know aspires in my in my career to become a showrunner, it was such an interesting look it, for for those who haven't read the article. You talk about early in your career being filled with anxiety and frustration when you show up on set and other people were doing your hair and makeup and not Mm -hmm. having the right tools or the right products to style a black woman's hair and makeup. And Mm -hmm. I so appreciate it. And I'm sure it's completely different having a black showrunner with Digstown. It's so important for somebody like me to to see that lens, to- um, Yeah.
4: Can you talk about a little bit about how much that's changed for you on this show? Oh, it's I mean, listen, having any showrunner that is aware enough and will listen and will champion for this change is what is actually going to be the thing that changes everything. I'm just very blessed to have, you know, a black showrunner who gets it. He, He understands that black women's hair sometimes not all times, but sometimes we'll take a different, we'll need a different approach. It may not be a longer time, but it will more than likely need a different approach and a different skill level that frankly, unfortunately, a number of key hair and makeup artists that have been working in this industry for the last 10, 20, 30 years may have, you know, like decades of experience on their hands. But they actually don't have decades of experience of working on Afro textured, super curly hair and don't have the sometimes do not have the confidence to be humble. And say,
1: Hmm.
4: you know what, I've been working in this business for 30 years, I've done every star in the book, I've done big movies, I've done all these things. You know what? The one thing I really haven't gotten a chance to really dig in and learn is how to properly do Afro textured hair. So let me go learn mm-hmm. or let's talk about a way for us to access stylists and barbers to come in to teach that is maybe different from what the union is requiring and just have some real candid conversation because what's ended what's actually happening right now is you're having series regulars, black series regulars doing our own hair and makeup. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of a double standard.
1: Mhm. Absolutely.
4: So, we'll see. We'll see if that changes. <laughs> yeah,
2: thank you so much for writing that article because I think that that'll really that will, will really help shift perspectives and like you're saying just Be humble about the things you don't know. And it's okay to, no matter how long you've been doing something in this industry, it's okay to go out and get more experience.
0: I think it's great advice. And it's also, it's obviously an unprecedented show with you as the lead. It's an unprecedented show right out of the gate, right? We've talked about that. It's also just an unprecedented show in the casting, as far as I'm concerned. And the taking on of your character for those who haven't seen and I hope everyone goes and sees it because I I had the chance to binge it. (laughs) It's great. It takes on the the a lot of the the law takes place in the legal aid office. It's not a glitzy law office that we're talking about. It's not high profile corporate law. This isn't suits. This is a very different kind of law going on, but a but an important kind of law taking on the topics that don't always get covered in television dramas about law. So I hope that everyone does check it out. And also, it is a, qu- quite a showcase for Nova Scotia. What do you think of it out there in Nova Scotia? People are starting to flock oh. to it, to be honest. In Canada, a lot of Torontonians relocating out there.
4: I know. I, when, I, when I first went out there, I was like, wow, why, why aren't more shows being shot here? I think they yeah. had, a you know, something happened, obviously, with the tax issue that happened. But yes. Nova Scotia used to be the place where everybody was shooting. Quite beautiful to say the least and I lived in Vancouver for many years and I thought nothing could rival Vancouver but <laughs> hmm. my god uh the hmm. summertime in Nova Scotia is like a it's just a dreamy dreamy escape the water it is a the great surfing. 3 days it
0: is a great 3 days oh. Nova Scotia summer <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> it goes from Tuesday to Thursday and it is fantastic
4: <laughs> listen it could start hailing in the morning but by the <laughs> afternoon it's sunny it's and then up. in the nighttime it's it's snowing again but either way you're getting all of the things um, it's beautiful there. And um, yeah, I, I love shooting. I love, I feel like there's just some good people.
0: Maritimers are just good people. You surf a lot on the show. You surf in Nova Scotia. I mean, Vanessa, am I yeah. supposed to believe this is a thing that happens <laughs> at all? And are you doing your own surfing? Is that a oh thing? Oh my going gosh. On?
4: Well, listen. Nova Scotia has a huge surf community. Crazy. I am not a good surfer by <laughs> any means. I have an amazing surf double who we scoured you. the land for because you know uh, we. I don't think that there were many Black surfer Canadian <laughs> surfers <laughs> um, that were at the level that we needed. <laughs> um, so we scoured the the land and we found a beautiful, amazing, kickass surfer by the name of Chelsea. She's she she's just awesome so i surfed a bit in california before i booked this role just because that's the thing to do when you live in california sure. Is like oh, i'm gonna go surf but uh, i was nowhere near skill level of what was needed to um to actually get a
0: camera on me so the show <laughs> well i wondered the way you run towards the water though it's like maybe it is her <laughs> maybe it's her
4: i can do a mean run Towards a camera, for sure. I can, I can really just get that face going. I can kind of, kind of fake it. But when you know you see Marcy ripping it, that's not me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've, we've torn down the shroud and showed the wizard behind the curtain. I'm sorry, everyone. Just enjoy Digstown. Just enjoy all Thank the you. elements of it. My <laughs> last question for you today, and I don't know if Diana has another one. My last one is, how proud are your parents of you? Because you have done an an amazing thing. You've had this unprecedented role in a a very important show that just seems to be getting more and more popular. You've done the Canadian dream. You've gone to LA. You've found success. You were in a soap opera and you got out. That's the real (laughs) thing here. Um,
4: That's the real success. (laughs) How proud are
0: your parents of you?
4: Of course, they're so proud. But you know, to be honest, my parents are very like, this is why I feel I am the way I am. You know, my work ethic is just, it's a little bit silly and sick. But, you know, my parents are never going to blow smoke up my ass. They're never going to, you know, they're always striving for me to do better and, and be better. And they're absolutely happy and proud that I'm doing what I love to do and that I've had success at it. But they're, by no means are they ever going to let me sit around and be like, <laughs> I've made it. Everything's great. Like, <laughs> they would slap me across the face before I said that. Um, so <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm my parents' daughter for sure. I just, we just work hard and we're always striving to keep getting better and better and do more and do more and more.
0: Such a great attitude. I can see why you are, get, you are getting these roles. You've earned them, Vanessa, and I can't wait to see more and more from you. And I can't wait to invite you to a party and have you put on uh, a show. Just uh, <laughs> oh. take all the children. My children will be happy to be in it. And uh, listen, just if you've
4: show. got... If you've got any old, like, 1990 sequence, like, jazz dance costumes <laughs> from, like, your daughter's rehearsal yeah. and recitals, I'm going to choreograph the mess out of that. That's uh, going to be so good. Preferably uh, red, like, okay. red sequence. I can kill that. I'll kill I
0: that. love it, and I will find them if I don't have them. <laughs> uh, Julie Black, you have so much going on. You've got to, I guess, prioritize to tell what people about. about. What, what, what do you want people to know that's coming up? next for
3: Coming you. up next for me is uh, my induction from Candles Walk of Fame, which I'm so excited about. Oh. A brand new album that is uh, 10 years in the making. I took some pause when I cared for my mom before she passed away. It's called Three Rocks in a Slingshot. And I'm writing a book. I'm writing a book, a memoir, and uh, some other things. But most importantly, living instead
0: of existing. That's what's oh, coming Oh my up. goodness. What a great Answer. Vanessa, what about that? Are you doing those things too? What's coming up next uh, for you? Oh, I
4: wish I was doing half of those things. <laughs> <laughs> what's coming up next for me is I'm about to direct my first short film. Oh, great. And take that on. So I've been doing a lot of writing, and that's kind of what's coming down the pipeline for me.
0: Watch for Vanessa Antoine's directorial debut. Watch for Julie Black. And most importantly, everyone, keep living, not just existing. Ladies, thank you so much for being part of the Canadian Star System and for setting an example for other Canadian artists. Thank you. Thank
4: you. you.
2: The Canadian Star System is produced by Diana Francis and Steve Patterson in association with the Apostrophe Podcast Network. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit our website at canadianstarsystem.ca where you can find links to their work and their socials. Speaking of socials, you can follow at Canadian Star Pod and at Apostrophe Pod on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And be sure to subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Our editor and sound technician is Donovan Deschner of Fracture of Femur Productions music by Mark Camilleri of Imagine Sound Studios special thanks to Terry O'Reilly Debbie O'Reilly Callie O'Reilly and Nancy Patterson who is an honorary O'Reilly and since you are doing such a good job of listening to the credits there's a bonus clip for you after Steve sings it out So give it up to
0: these good because I sell promotion sucks and if they are- Canadian star system. I love it, and Julie with two L's. Yeah, obviously. two L's and a Y. That's on your certificate. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that you put a couple extra letters in because the weekend takes letters away, <laughs> and I think that there's got to be a balance in the universe for that. Yeah, and hello, I don't want to cut my weekend short. What the hell? No, no, <laughs> I know. I want the week. I want a tour as the week, like with five E's. <laughs>